Hey, Alien listeners, Jason Woods here, pediatric emergency medicine physician and sometimes podcast host. And I'm back with another discussion of some amazing research from PCARN, the Pediatric Emergency Care Applied Research Network. PCARN is a collaborative of many emergency departments from across the United States and works to address the big pediatric questions that only multi-center data can. Today, we're going to be discussing an article that was published in February of 2018 in Pediatrics titled, The Accuracy of the Urinalysis for Urinary Tract Infections in Febrile Infants 60 Days and Younger. And we are lucky enough to have the primary author, Dr. Leah Ziminatis, on to talk with us about it. I'm going to have her introduce herself, and we're going to jump right into the discussion. I'm Leah Ziminatis. I'm an associate clinical professor of pediatric emergency medicine at UC Davis. Leah, I'm wondering if you can tell us first, for the listeners that might not be familiar with what PCARN is, give us an overview of what that organization does. Sure. So PCARN is a research network comprised of 18 children's hospitals around the country. Um, It's a federally funded network that was put together almost 20 years ago now to help overcome some of the barriers in researching pediatric emergency medicine conditions. So acutely ill and injured children is really the mission of PCARN. Was there a specific project or database that this article came out of? Yeah, so we had, as a PCARN group, we had been studying the febrile infants who come to the emergency department and the best way to try to differentiate um, bacterial from viral infections in that group. So it was a study of RNA biosignatures in infants 60 days and younger who presented to the emergency department with fever of 38 or greater. That was the sort of parent study was looking at the biosignatures. All of those patients came in and had blood cultures obtained as part of their workup. And then this was sort of a planned secondary analysis from that data set. Exactly. So this was looking at infants who also had a urinalysis and urine culture performed as part of their workup. Can you help me frame the problem or the question? Why do we care? Why was this study even something that you would want to look at? Sure. So urinalysis is a test that's readily available in the emergency department, and we use it routinely to screen for urinary tract infections in many patients. But historically, um, some of the studies that have been done previously have shown that the urinalysis was not particularly sensitive in this young age group. So young infants, the teaching when I was a resident was that it was more like sort of 50 to 70 percent sensitive, um, which makes it not a great screening tool for our patients. And I think that was the numbers that I was still being told that in this this young age to really diagnose a urinary tract infection, you had to wait for the culture. And then up until then, you were sort of stuck in the middle. Right. And then I also found it interesting that the most recent set of AAP guidelines that looked at pediatric urinary tract infections specifically excluded the population of infants less than 60 days, which makes them not quite as helpful as they otherwise could have. Exactly. And this is a group that we particularly worry about urinary tract infections because we know that bacterial infections are more serious in this group because they're not as well able to localize infection compared to their older counterparts. So if you are taking all of the infants and placing them on antibiotics until the cultures are proven negative, that's also an extra antibiotic exposure in the setting of us knowing that increased antibiotic exposures affect things like the gut microbiome. So I'm really interested in this subject just because I would like to know the right thing to do. Can you give us a, a little bit of an idea of the inclusion criteria for, for making it into the analysis? Sure. So to get into the parent study Patients had to be 60 days or younger, presenting to the emergency department with fever of 38 degrees or greater, either at home or in the emergency department. And they were excluded if they had clinical sepsis. So we weren't interested in the the really sick-appearing kids because we all know that they need basically all the workup we can give them. Patients were excluded if they had clinical sepsis, 
a history of prematurity, if they had other significant underlying comorbid conditions, including prematurity, or if they had recently been on systemic antibiotics. And I think you mentioned this in there as well. So the urine samples had to be either a catheterized specimen or a suprapubic specimen. So no no bag specimens, which I think the majority of us are not routinely obtaining anyway in infants of this age. At least I, I generally don't. Right. We don't routinely get it. And, and most of the patients, who, so all of the patients to be included in this sub-analysis did get a urine that was obtained either by suprapubic um, aspiration or by catheterization. I want to clarify, uh, because I think this confusion comes up a little bit, how we are actually defining a urinary tract infection and a positive urinalysis. And so that's a little bit tricky. So for older patients, as you know, the, um, the, those AAP guidelines suggest that we use both the urinalysis and a urine culture together to make the diagnosis of UTI. That guideline doesn't apply to these younger infants. Um, and probably more important for our paper, we couldn't use the urinalysis as part of the definition because that was actually what we were studying. So for the purpose of our paper, what we did was we defined a UTI just based on the urine culture results. And we actually used two different definitions of UTI. We defined it as greater than 50,000 colony-forming units of a uropathogen that was growing from one of those specimens that we talked about, either a catheterized or a, or a suprapubic specimen. And then we actually also used a secondary analysis where we used a definition of greater than 10,000 CFUs per milliliter because we felt like it's a little bit unclear in the younger infant where we should really draw that line to define UTI. So how did you come up with those numbers? Are those commonly assigned cutoffs for considering a urine culture to be positive? Yeah, so when you look back in the literature of urinary tract infections in young infants, those are sort of the two thresholds that seem to be used, um, either the 10,000 or 50,000. And then what about on the urinalysis? What are we considering positive and what are we considering negative? So uh, urinalysis was considered positive if there was any leukocyte esterase that was present. So that was trace, small, moderate, or large. If nitrates were positive, that's usually sort of a binary. They're either positive or negative. And if they were positive, we considered the, the urinalysis positive. We considered it positive if there were greater than five white blood cells per high power field on the microscopy, if microscopy was done on the sample. Okay, and that brings up an interesting point. So not all of the samples had microscopy done. That wasn't a mandate to get into the study. Exactly. So to get into the study, we said that the patient had to have nitrites and leukocyte esterase results for those two components um, available. And okay. because that's, I don't know how it is at your hospital, but at ours, at least, sometimes if the urine chemistry is negative, it, the lab actually doesn't even perform a microscopy. So we didn't yeah. want to exclude all of those patients who had negative initial urinalyses um, because they didn't have the further testing done. Can't speak for everywhere, but I think that's a relatively common practice where if the if the urine is completely normal from a leukesterase and nitrite, that the labs don't pursue the microscopy. How did you handle if the urine culture grew more than one pathogen? So if it grew more than two pathogens, we called it a contaminant, and we removed those samples from the analysis. If there were two urine pathogens, then we still considered it positive, and we included it in the analysis. We also excluded or removed from the analysis patients who had um, known contaminants growing, so skin flora would be the, the big one that we see from there. That was exactly going to be my follow-up question, was whether you removed things that are, are generally contaminants and not really uropathogens. And then the other um, thing that we hadn't talked about yet was that one of the other things we wanted to do was look at the urinalysis in patients who had not only UTI, but also UTI with associated bacteremia. And so because of that, we also removed from the analysis patients, if they had bacteremia, 
but they didn't have a urinary tract infection, or if their bacteremia and their UTI were from two different organisms, because we felt like that represented a group that, that wasn't the one that we were trying to study in this. This is the section of looking at studies that I always struggle with the most, is evaluating the appropriateness of the statistical analysis before we get to the results. So I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about what uh, statistics you plan to evaluate and why you chose them. Yeah, so um, I also struggle with that part. So luckily for me, it was pretty straightforward for our study. Um, we were really looking at the test characteristics of the urinalysis, both the different components and the urinalysis, what we call kind of the aggregate urinalysis as a whole. And so we looked at the sensitivity and specificity of the different components. And then we also looked at the positive and negative predictive value of the urinalysis and the positive and negative likelihood ratios. Those are all actually statistics that I've heard of before. So that makes me a little bit com more comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, we did do a little bit more statistical um, work, again, probably studies you've heard of, or um, methods you've heard of looking at the two different groups, groups with UTI and groups without UTI. So we did chi-square analysis, and then Will Coxon rank some to compare those two groups in their demographics and clinical characteristics. So let's talk a little bit about then the result. I know that in the, the main study, there were 4,778 patients that were enrolled, and then a total of 631 of them ended up getting excluded for a total of 4,147 records that were evaluated in this study, which seems like a fairly impressive number for a study like this. Yeah, especially as you know, for studying um, young febrile infants, we felt like this was a, a big group that we were having the privilege to be able to look at their data, and that was why we wanted to use it to try to learn more about these results. And just some overall statistics, 289 of them, so 7%, had UTIs as defined by the greater than 50,000 CFUs per milliliter cutoff, which is a number that fits, I think, with, with the general population numbers that we often throw around, or at least that I think I was told in residency of, somewhere around 10%. Yep, I think kind of 7 to 10% is the the number that I was taught as well. So it fits right in there. And then that number went up when we changed the definition to 10% to kind of the higher range of that. So I think we're sort of right in line with what previous studies have shown. And I think that's important just to show that the sample has some face validity and at least closely matches some of the previous work that was done. So then tell me how well the UA did. Was it useful? So that was actually probably the most exciting part for me was that it was remarkably useful, especially compared to what, what I had been taught in training. So when we looked at infants who had UTI overall, the sensitivity of the urinalysis was 94% um, and the specificity was 91%. So not perfect, but, um, but definitely significantly better than, again, what, what had been suggested and what had been taught to me in training. What about, was there any difference in the sensitivity if the patient had bacteremia or did not? Yeah, so the sensitivity was even higher in the group of patients that had UTI with associated bacteremia. On our patient population in our study, it was actually 100% sensitive for finding UTI in the patients who had both bacteremia and UTI with the same pathogen. That's fantastic. So those patients that we presume are more likely to be ill or at, are at increased risk for complications is 100% sensitive. Exactly, yeah. Did the results change at all if you, when you did the secondary analysis where we looked at the 10,000 CFU cutoff instead of the 50,000? Yeah, so interestingly, the specificity didn't change. It stayed at 91% even when we changed that, that definition to the 10,000 threshold. But the sensitivity did drop to um, about 87% in the patients with UTI with that lower threshold. And is that a change that makes sense? 
It intuitively makes sense to me um, for a couple of reasons. One is that, you know, those might, we might be catching patients that are a little bit earlier in their disease course. They might not have um, some of the same changes in their urine that they will as time goes on. The other is that, as you probably know, we spend a lot of time with young infants in urine wondering about the possibility of asymptomatic bacteria. And so you do worry when you drop the threshold to a lower number, are we catching some patients with asymptomatic bacteria? And so are their urine um, urinalysis negative because they don't actually have an active infection. Yeah, and, and that's always the population that I struggle with how to discuss because I think it's still a little bit unclear exactly how much that asymptomatic bacteriuria means. Agreed. And I think it's also really hard in this population because we're talking, at least in our study population, about infants who are presenting with fever. So in my mind, by definition, they're not exactly asymptomatic. They're coming in with a symptom of fever. I wanted to dig into a couple of the interesting things that came out of this that maybe weren't the main result, but I don't want to get buried in our discussion. First, what kind of pathogens are we looking at? What are the common bugs that were growing out of the urine in the patients that you were looking at? So I don't think we saw any big surprises um, when we saw the pathogens in our patients. So E. coli was the big player, with the majority of patients having that as their pathogen, Klebsiella, um, Enterococcus, and Enterobacter were the other ones that we um, saw most frequently. Yeah, and I guess that's reassuring that it's all the bugs that we generally talk about and cover for anyway. Something that I thought was interesting here was for patients that had bacteremia, which parts of the UA were more likely to be positive, and then whether there was any difference in how positive, for instance, the leukocyte esterase was. Can you talk about that? Yeah, so we actually thought this was sort of an interesting finding that we came across. So the infants who had UTI with bacteremia, all of their urinalyses had either moderate or large leukocyte esterase compared to the infants who had UTI without bacteremia, where some of those patients had trace or small leukocyte esterase, as well as some proportion of moderate or large. There was sort of uniform significant positivity of leukocyte esterase for those patients with bacteremia and UTI. Potentially suggesting that those patients that had bacteremia had a more positive urinalysis, for lack of a better term. Exactly. So I think the most important thing that I take out of these interviews when talking with authors about their articles is what do you view the big take-home points from this study to be? And then what can we do with it? How do I make this study actionable in my clinical practice? Well, for me, really, the big takeaway was that the urinalysis is actually quite a sensitive test, even in these young infants. Um, and so, again, that was exciting to me because it was different than what I had, um, I had thought before. As we think about sort of why that is, I think that um, maybe it's because the technology has improved from when some of those earlier studies were done. I think including trace leukocyte esterase and recognizing that that is a positive urinalysis finding in these young infants was also um, part of that. And then I think that it also makes me feel very comfortable that when I'm getting a screening urinalysis in a young febrile infant, that I'm certainly not missing the sickest of those infants. I'm not missing the patients with UTI and associated bacteremia. Because again, that sensitivity was, was 100% in our patient population. That's a lovely way to encapsulate what is meaningful about this study. Leah, one, one question that I have just thought about, and I, I don't know if your paper addressed, 
as far as how the urinalysis was actually done, are these all being done specifically in a lab or were any of these dipstick or was that not uh, something that was collected in the data that you had available? So it's a good question. We spent a long time trying to figure out if we could actually collect that data because it wasn't as part of the original study. Um, So this was sort of done in a variety of different ways. The beauty of that is that I think it makes the results applicable to many different settings because it probably includes whatever's being done at your hospital. Yeah, whatever your local course is. And sadly, my dream of being able to finally argue to my colleagues that most of the kids are fine just getting a dipstick and not needing to be sent to the lab uh, is yet to be fulfilled. (laughs) It would be more efficient though, huh? (laughs) It would be. Anything else that you want to leave the listeners with today before we let you go? No, I think that about covers it. I appreciate the time you took to go over the paper with me and talk to me though. Ah, thanks so much, Leah. And thank you to all the listeners for your time today. This has been Jason Woods. Until next time.